0: How do I start?
1: I'm like, hi everyone. Hi
0: everyone. Hi everyone. Welcome back to the Minute Women Podcast. My name is Grace. And I say I'm Linnea.
1: And I'm Linnea. And I'm Linnea.
0: I literally was. Every like, time. What do I say?
1: I Smell burnt toast. Dr.
0: Smell Burnt toast. <laughs> I dragged my ass out of bed for this picture. <laughs> On Mondays, it's gonna be margarita Mondays. <laughs> nationwide. <laughs> and feel that
1: reciprocated enjoyment. <gasps>
0: God. It's like we're friends
1: or something.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Minute Women podcast. My name is Grace. And I'm Linnea. And how are you, Linnea? I'm so good, Grace. <laughs> we're pretending like we haven't recorded two other episodes today. Yeah, but it's, it's such fine. a weird, like, thing that you have to do when you're a podcaster and yeah. be like, this is a fresh start. But really, we've already been
1: recording for the it's last week. Like, hey, how are you good today? What? <laughs> hey, how are you good today? <laughs> it's just like that. This
0: episode is gonna be fire. <laughs> I already know it. <laughs> just like fire festival.
1: Fire with a Y. Burning the house down. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. <sighs> Whew how are you today, Grace? I'm well. Well, Thank you. good. Okay. <laughs> and like a
0: ball of fire that's burning before us, today we are doing the Avro Arrow Heritage Minute.
2: <laughs>
0: yes. I think one of the most celebrated Heritage Minutes because it was yeah. a huge budget because it comes from a mini series.
1: Oh, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, so similar to the Grey Owl Heritage Minute. Um, it's just taken and like spliced together from a miniseries, which I think is why it's so jump around y. Jump around. Jump,
1: jump around. around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like that. It is like that. Do you think the Avro Arrow is an important part of Canadian history? Oh, um, I think to some historical enthusiasts in that kind of category, yes. What a political
0: answer. What a politician answer. I do not answer. think it's
1: part of our heritage. Like if you will. Like I do not think that it falls under the same line as like um Mona Parsons or Violet Desmond or the Halifax Explosion or yeah. Marconi, even though he was a fascist. Like I don't think I don't think it's quite as like important, but um people who love it love it and care a lot about it. So Yeah, it's
0: I feel like it speaks to a very specific generation because yes. it has a very harsh short-term legacy as we'll kind of get into because I think the Avro Arrow becomes more famous for the political circumstances of it than the actual invention and the science that went into the Avro Arrow yes. despite the fact that that's the thing they talk about the most in the Heritage In the Minute. Heritage Minute. And it's also interesting because I didn't really plan this but you know, the the story of the Avro Arrow is so caught up with NATO and the Cold War, which now we are seeing the 30, 40 year, I guess 50 year legacy of that period kind of playing out in geopolitics right now with the invasion of Ukraine and stuff. So yep. it's uh, interesting, to say the least.
1: It's crazy times right now.
0: <laughs> Very crazy times. And as I mentioned, this Heritage Minute is taken from a miniseries. Now, I am not a film buff. I don't know a ton about filmmaking, but we reached out to Hunter Scully from the North of Normal podcast. Yeah. And he was so kind and did a bunch of research and recorded this amazing little clip that we're going to cut to later on in the episode. So if you want kind of like the the film history of the Avro Arrow Heritage Minute, then we'll be doing kind of like a cutaway. So keep listening to the to the episode if you want like the film history.
1: And thank you so much to Hunter. Yes. Um, those North of Normal guys have been probably the most supportive like other yeah. podcast kind of to like really they just they just give us so much love. And yeah. uh, and we really appreciate
0: them. And they have an amazing podcast. They like do. if you love Canadian film and cinema, yeah. Go check out the North of Normal podcast because Hunter does so much incredible research. Yes. And like there's so much love and like devotion poured into that podcast. He's brilliant. So they deserve all your attention and love. So go check out North of Normal Podcast. Yeah. The Avro Canada CF 105 Arrow, the Arrow for short, (laughs) was a supersonic interceptor jet aircraft designed and built in the 1950s by AV Row Canada, hence Avro. So that's where Avro comes from. Um. The Arrow was one of the most advanced aircrafts of its era, helping to establish Canada as a world leader in scientific research and development. Interceptor aircraft means that it's a plane designed to attack enemy aircraft, especially enemy bombers. And supersonic means that the aircraft was capable of traveling faster than the speed of sound.
1: So what Sierra really means in One Two Step, that when she says that she's supersonic, (laughs) is that she can travel faster than the speed of sound. Yes, Got I think
0: it. that's exactly what she was referring I to. Think that's
1: <laughs> really what Sierra meant. So it's the Cold War.
0: Okay, 1950s. Setting the scene. Nations have found themselves divided among two ideological camps, the capitalist West led by the United States and the Communist East dominated by the then Soviet Union. As tensions grew, Mother up- Russia <laughs> Mother Russia. As tensions grew among opposing parties, worsened by espionage, proxy wars, aggressive dialogue, and nuclear escalation, Canada increased its military commitment to the Western cause. By the 1950s, there was a growing concern that Soviet bombers would attack North America via the Canadian Arctic. Um, NATO intelligence suggests that such attacks could occur as early as 1954, so in 1953-54, the Royal Canadian Air Force commissioned Avro to design and build the Arrow, an all-weather nuclear interceptor meant to fly higher and faster than any aircraft in its class. And it, this is
1: before we've even been to space.
0: Yes, we have yet. Well, I, we yeah, no, you're right. No. We haven't been to space. We definitely haven't been to the moon.
1: Yeah, have not been to the moon. No. North America has not been to space. I'm not sure about everyone else. I'm not yeah. a huge space nerd. I think the Soviets, the
0: Soviets are the first to make it to space, and I think they make it in 1960. I think so. But that's a dusty memory. I don't know if that's true. (laughs) You'll have to Google it. Just Google it yourself, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) What am I? Your mom? Yeah. Do your own research. (laughs) It was at the time the most demanding specification in the world, and many international manufacturers believed it was impossible to achieve. So people are like, you can't build. The Avro Aero. It's its physically impossible. Stop it. Stop it. You're stupid. A.V. Row was already an established British aircraft manufacturer when they came to Canada in December 1945 to take advantage of the country's skilled aviation labor force that was left over from Canada's Second World War effort. The company rebranded as A.V. Row Canada and set up shop in the Malton area of Mississauga, Ontario at the former Victory Aircraft Plant. Today, that facility is the Toronto Pearson Airport. Oh, cool. So I guess part of what is today Pearson would have originally been a World War II manufacturing plant, but then it got converted and purchased by Avro. Avro experienced early success with the Avro CF-100, the Canuck. So this is the first Canadian-designed military fighter aircraft. The Canuck first flew on the 19th of January, 1950. In total, 692 planes were built, with Canuck fighter squadrons serving the RCAF, NORAD, and NATO. Hmm. After earning the right to build the aero, Avro became a dominant force in Canadian aerospace and the economy at large. By 1957, Avro employed more than 20,000 people, making it one of the largest companies in the country. It's big. With plans to build everything from jetliners to cameras that could photograph speeding airplanes, Avro drew major investment from the government and its own employees. Confidence in the company and Canada's aerospace industry was soaring
1: get it Uh huh (laughs) it's a pun
0: the avro production and product was a sexy product that attracted the cast
1: sexy (laughs) whoo
0: and it attracted a cast to match the story so like this is like cool it's like the
1: future is happening
0: in canada right now
1: then right now back then right now
0: back in the past it's the future yeah
1: the future is now (laughs) Production
0: of the Arrow drew many notable characters to Toronto's industrial suburbs. Among them, Avro President Crawford Gordon Jr., a charismatic industrialist from Winnipeg; James C. Floyd, a renowned British engineer and the first non-American to win the Wright Brothers Medal for his work on jet transport technology; Aww. and Janusz Zerkowski, great job, thank you, a fighter pilot from Poland who had braved the Battle of Britain before becoming the first person to fly an arrow,
1: He brought everyone pierogies. He's like, these are pierogies.
0: <laughs> My mom made these. My mom made They're these. They're all for you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> 700 pierogies. Yeah. So it's like,
0: it's kind of like Tesla, I guess, would be like the closest thing I can think of. Yeah. Where like the president of the company is a very visible like celebrity figure. Yeah. It's not just like nerds in it's not just nerd. an office designing a secret aircraft. Like Everybody knows these people. They're like major figures in Canadian society. Major
1: players. Major players.
0: <laughs> the Arrow was an immense project in size, scale, and ambition. Weighing about 20,000 kilograms when empty with a wingspan of 15.2 meters, the jet was, as journalist David Wilson has written, form sublimely married to function. Big boy. Faster than any jet in its class, the Arrow would travel nearly twice the speed of sound at an altitude of 53,000 feet. Testing the Arrow was intensive. Without computer simulation tools, the Avro team relied on wind tunnel testing and scale model experiments. So this thing is being invented without computers.
1: That's that's insane.
0: I, I don't remember exactly
1: what the analogy
0: is, but like... The, we managed to get to space with the same amount of technology that goes into like a calculator basically.
1: Yeah, there's, there's like. The amount of technology in your phone, like yeah. any phone that's on the market today, is like exponentially greater than the technology that was used to send the first person into space. In the Apollo yeah. What the hell? Yeah. That is not safe.
0: And at this time, <laughs> or even before that, so there's no, like, it has a computer, but there's no computer yeah. simulations. No. So to test everything, and they showed in the Heritage mm. Minute, and I guess the miniseries as well, is like, they're just taking a scale model and like launching it over the lake. Yeah. And they're like... It didn't work. Let's try again.
1: Well, it's like the movie Hidden Figures. Like, yeah, it's crazy how how words for things change because the three women in Hidden Figures were computers. That was their job. They were called right, computers right. because they were computing information. Yes. Like, like in crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and and like doing it before there were real computers. Yeah. So like like they had a Xerox machine and that was like they're like, oh we're gonna lose like half our job. They because-
0: literally just have to do the math when the equation comes in. They're yes. like, shit, all right, time like, to do some math.
1: Okay, like let's math it up. Yeah. Um yeah, it's crazy. So nine
0: models, each about one eighth the size of the full plane were launched on rockets over Lake Ontario to no. gauge the flightworthiness. No. <laughs> it's literally like a like a kid and their dad going out, yeah. getting like a model
1: rocket and like launching it. Putting That's some, what they're doing. Putting some vinegar and baking soda in there and just yeah. watching her rip. Like... <laughs> yeah, it looks good. That
0: trajectory looks good. It's like this is great guys.
1: <laughs> now let's put somebody in it.
0: <laughs> Two additional models were also launched over the Atlantic Ocean. I I think the fact that they had to do 11 uh, probably says that they weren't great. Oh, gosh. (laughs) On the 4th of October, 1957, the first arrow was unveiled in front of 12,000 people at the Avro plant.
1: It's a big crowd. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Spectators were immediately taken by the plane's appearance. So it swept back Delta wings and and early electronic flight controls gave it the look of tomorrow. So it's. (laughs) It's like not impressive, I think, by today's standards when you think about a jet, but like they didn't have jets. No. So you're going from a World War
1: II fighter plane. Yeah. You're going from wings straight out to like wings back jet. Exactly. Very streamlined, very shiny. Yeah. Uh, It was blinding
0: white, matte black, and day glow orange.
1: Love a good day. So
0: just like, yeah, it looks like the future. We're here. Yeah. (laughs) We've arrived. (laughs) On its first flight, piloted by uh, the Polish uh, fighter pilot, right. so Zerkowski. With, with the pierogies. Yes, with the made-up pierogies that yes. we're adding to the story. <laughs> yeah. On the 25th of March, 1958, the arrow broke four different speed records on its oh, first crazy. flight. Over the next year, the five Mark I arrows, so the first version of the plane, yes. would fly a total of 66 times the more powerful Mark II Arrows that were developed actually never flew. Oh! Despite the plane's enthusiastic reception, both the Arrow and Avro would soon meet their end in complicated political battles and backroom deals. So this is what the Arrow is more notoriously known for. is The like drama. The drama. So I love it because it is both national politics and petty, petty. interpersonal bullshit yeah. <laughs> that kills an amazing jet plane that was invented in Canada that
1: kills dreams and I, I just, think that's
0: how people like are so nostalgic for it yeah. they're like what What could have been there's attachment yeah
1: for sure I was also just thinking that when I was talking about the made up when we we're talking about the made up pierogies <laughs> with the Polish pilot I'm really hungry now that's such a well yeah I'm hungry but that's also such a drunk history moment like you know when they're like and then you'd see him in the plane with like a plate of hot pierogies next to him yeah. like that's such a that's oh, I love drunk history <laughs> One of these days. One of these days. We'll, we'll do it drunk. We'll, yeah, we'll, you'll do it. <laughs> yeah. I'll interview you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> for all the scientific innovation that was bored into the arrow, it is better remembered for the political issues that became its downfall. In June 1957, Canadians ended 22 years of liberal rule by electing a minority progressive conservative government. For Prime Minister uh, John Diefenbaker, cutting federal spending and establishing his authority became a political priority. So throughout the Second World War and the post-war era, you have like Mackenzie King in office for a very long period of time. Very long. Um, You also have the development of the welfare state for the first time. And so there's a lot of government intervention and that, you know, like – I personally think it's a good thing, but a lot of people don't necessarily think it's a good thing. And so cutting federal spending was the main party platform of the Progressive Conservatives, which is no longer a federal party. They have now folded into the Conservative Party of Canada. With a total cost of $1.1 billion, the Arrow Project was very expensive for a country of Canada's size. But its technology was another concern. So the Army's Chief of General Staff, Lieutenant General Guy Simmons, was among those who thought that it was already an outdated project. So they're like, this is already not competing on an international scale with other developments. Which, granted, I mean, like, the United States has NASA. So Canada has Avro. Yeah. Which isn't even looking at necessarily going to space. Right. So... You know, it's it's definitely, like, it, you can see how Avro would be outcompeted competed by more powerful, wealthier yes. nations. In addition to the financial side, there was a personal side, too. Of course. So, Deepen Diefenbaker had a very poor relationship with Avro's president. Apparently, the root of this is that Diefenbaker was a teetotaler, which means he does not drink. Okay. And he detested the lavish behavior of Crawford Gordon Jr., who was known for his love of smoke and drink. <laughs> the two would frequently argue.
1: Stephen Baker was a sober prime minister.
0: Yeah, that and he built a bunker.
1: Yeah. He built a bunker. Oh. The yeah, Defen Bunker.
0: Just in case. You never know when you're gonna get nuked. Never yeah, know. <laughs> But the problems were coming from beyond the Canadian borders as well. So competing technologies and narratives also weakened the Arrow's homegrown support. On the 4th of October 1957, the day the first Arrow was unveiled, the Soviet Union launched Sputnik, the world's first human-made satellite. Yeah. So there's a reason that everybody talks about that more than the Arrow. <laughs> it's like so funny that it's like literally like the day yeah. the Arrow was unveiled, the Soviet Union's like we have created a thing <laughs> that will exist in space that we can communicate with. Forever. <laughs> For as long as we, you know, it's yeah. up there that we're aware of. It's like, wow. Wow.
1: Okay. You, you really did that <laughs> today.
0: <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Global imagination and paranoia shifted to space and it was then assumed that nuclear attacks would no longer come from piloted bombers, but from intercontinental ballistic missiles that passed through outer space. So Now, the Arrow's purpose was unclear because the Arrow is designed to attack aircraft that are going to bomb places, but now people are like, the missiles aren't even going to be on the planes. So when you launch a nuke, it launches like a rocket like into space and then drops on people, not a plane has to fly overhead and drop the nuke. Right. So now the Arrow is like, well, why do we even have this super expensive plane that probably won't do the thing that it's designed to do? It's already
1: obsolete.
0: Exactly. Canada's allies, too, were making gains in the aerospace sector. In 1958, the Arrow was the world's fastest fighter jet, but... The United States, Great Britain, France, and Sweden had developed planes with superior flight range and maximum altitude. America in particular, with its existing economic and military might, consistently released cheaper planes at a quicker rate than the Canadian manufacturers could achieve. Even those in favor of the Arrow acknowledged that had the program sustained funding, the jet would not have been ready for combat until 1962. So it's just like you just can't compete with the military and financial might of the yeah. United States. Notions that the U.S. government pressured Diefenbaker to cancel the Arrow in an effort to eliminate a competitor of the American industry appear to be more a myth than history. Documents from 1958 even suggest that the United States Air Force officers wanted to buy Arrows on behalf of the RCAF as part of a continental defense strategy. Taking this as an act of charity, Canada refused. <laughs> like, Don't pity me. <laughs>
1: I don't want your <laughs> sympathy.
0: <laughs> There's no doubt that the American aircraft industry would have been exceedingly unhappy if the United States had bought aircraft from Canada, says historian Jack Granistein. But to say that the Americans killed the Arrow is, I think, simply not true. Around the time the Arrow was cancelled, British officials- Cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Cancelled. Cancelled. <laughs> British officials requested the use of one or more of the jets for flight testing. The request was soon withdrawn, allegedly on the recommendation of the Canadian government. In a 1980 interview with the CBC, AeroTest pilot and native Briton Peter Cope suggested that Diefenbaker had not wanted Great Britain to realize that Canada had abandoned such a high performance plane. So they're like, we want to abandon it, but also we're embarrassed. <laughs> so Canadian. What are they going to say about us? AV Roe tried desperately to find a foreign buyer for the arrow. So, like, Canada's like, we're not going to keep funding this. So now you have to be a private corporation. And so Roe is like, okay, we just need to sell it. Yeah. Like, someone has to buy this company. Right. However, Canada's political climate, combined with the project's total cost and narrow approach to warfare, left few options. Most countries did not want to take on such an ambitious project, especially given the Arrow's limited use in the space age. And while fans of the Arrow have since demonized the Diefenbaker government for ending the project, some historians think that the liberals would have probably done the same thing. It's just funny because Diefenbaker also just happened to hate the president of the company. Yeah, it's just not a good look. (laughs) Not a good look. On the 20th of February 1959, before the Arrow could enter military duty, the Diefenbaker government canceled the Arrow project. Overnight, more than 14,000 people, many of them highly skilled, lost their jobs. So I think that is really where the pain comes from. It's like in one sweep, the government cut a project that employed 14,000 people. people. The day would be known as Black Friday in the Canadian aviation industry. By July nineteen fifty nine, all aircraft have been cut apart with blowtorches, while blueprints, models, designs, and machines used to make the planes were destroyed. But why? I think it's it's just a security issue. Like you can't have it's the Cold War, so you can't have people like reading your designs and your project. You have to destroy all Does the research. Does no one have a
1: safe? <laughs> like <laughs> The Deep
0: Bunker. Yeah. Just throw it in there. Shove it in there. <laughs> Scraps were sold to a Hamilton, Ontario junk dealer for six point five cents per pound. Job losses grew to at least twenty five thousand at the oh, time God. of the Avro's dissolution in nineteen sixty two. Yeah, that's... yeah. So twenty five thousand jobs lost. You've it's a billion dollar project, which is so expensive in the nineteen fifties. And what it resulted in was selling junk. Literally, like, scrap junk metal to a Hamilton, Ontario dealer. Yeah. In the years that followed the Arrow's cancellation, Diefenbaker remained defiant of critics, taking full responsibility for what he deemed a necessary act, however unpleasant. Speaking to the CBC, the Prime Minister had this to say about his decision. It was a beautiful aircraft, but I had to make, in the finality, that decision. When one's faced with a problem like this, there is a higher source of strength. If one doesn't have that strength, he can never bear the attacks made on him. I knew that a great industry that had been established would be weakened, but it was the right thing to do in the end. I love that he turns that into like talking about himself. Exactly. (laughs) It's like, so why did you cancel the plane? You know, when you cancel a plane like that, you need to have a lot of strength. Yeah. And belief in God.
1: I mean, it's not about me, but it's about me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Me, John Diefenbaker.
0: <laughs> Today, enthusiasts of the plane question the government's need to so thoroughly remove the arrow and its technical data from history. So as to your question, yeah. why do you have to literally blowtorch apart the plane? At the time, Parliament claimed it was a matter of national security given the threat of Soviet espionage. Jack Granistein has speculated on another reason, that Diefenbaker acted out of spite for Gordon and his beloved company. Yeah. So it's just like... It's a security issue, but also fuck that guy. Like, I don't want his plane. Burn it. Burn
1: Burn it it to the ground. (laughs) It's trash, literally. Garbage now.
0: Whatever the reason, the Canadian Aerospace Program tried to move on. Free from the Avro contract, the Canadian government moved to buy 66 secondhand voodoo fighter jets capable of less than half the speed of the arrow from the United States as a supplementary defense strategy. Okay. Canada also opted into the BOMARC program, a surface-to-air guided missile system resulting from the 1957 NORAD agreement with the United States. Over the ensuing decade, however, anti nuclear sentiment would dominate public opinion. In response, Canada ultimately withdrew its armed forces from nuclear roles and shut down the Beaumarch system. The total cost of the Voodoo and Beaumarch purchases amounted to more than the entire cost of the Arrow program.
1: Oh, God. Uh, Poor decision. There's the no
0: right decision. Yeah. Avro's end was fast and tragic following the arrow's termination. Gordon's resignation as president was announced in the press on the 2nd of July, 1959. He died at the age of 52 on the 26th of January, 1967, in New York City, likely from alcoholism. Fred Smy, Avro's vice president and general manager during the Arrow program, resigned in 1959, and in April 1962, parent company Hawker Sidley Group dissolved Arrow, selling its assets for $15.6 million, a, a project that was worth $1.1 billion. billion dollars.
1: Yeah, that's that hurts.
0: In the short term, the Aero's cancellation had a devastating effect on Canada's aerospace industry and its role as a world player. A number of Avro's top engineers left for Great Britain to work on the Concorde Civil Airliner. Others left for the United States to work on various projects within NASA. Indeed, the influx of over 30 elite scientists and engineers to NASA, as historian Bill Zook asserts, helped put a man on the moon. So it's like, well, can't work in Canada anymore. I guess we better get down to Florida. Still, there is little evidence to show that Averroes had a long-term negative effect on Canada's aviation and scientific communities. For example, SPAR Aerospace, which originally worked on the Aero Project as the Special Projects and Applied Research Branch of the De Havilland aircraft of Canada, went on to design the Canadarm, which is the arm on the International Space Station. Yep. And today, the Canadian aerospace industry contributes nearly $25 billion in gross domestic product and roughly 190,000 jobs to the economy. That's good. Within pop culture, the Arrow had a significant legacy as well. So there's a Heritage Minute and the CBC miniseries based on the Arrow story, both starring Dan Aykroyd as Crawford Gordon Jr., and they were released in 1997. And so to get the full breakdown on this great little mini-series, we are going to cut to Hunter Scully of the North of Normal podcast.
1: Be back in a sec.
2: Hello, my name is Andrew Hunter Scully, host of North of Normal, a podcast about Canadian cinema and our relationship with film. Grace and Linnea reached out to me to briefly cover the background of The Arrow, the CBC mini-series which a Heritage Minute, Avro Arrow, obtained its footage from. So without any delay, this is the story of The Arrow. The story of the Avro Arrow took seven years of production to reach the screen, notably a year longer than the Arrow itself was in development. Screenwriter Keith Ross Leckie began work on a screenplay in 1989, based on Greg Stewart's 1988 book, Shutting Down the National Dream. The story of the production of the Arrow oddly mirrors the plight of the Avro Arrow itself, in terms of the struggle of ambition in the face of government funding and cutbacks. Originally meant as a TV movie, the script ended up being shopped around after major cutbacks affected film production in Canada and the CBC specifically. It was then attempted to gain traction as a feature film, however financing was difficult as it was widely felt that the money needed to recreate the Arrow itself, using models and special effects, would be too expensive. Especially at the time when such efforts were put into major blockbusters and not material that was so specifically Canadian. Eventually, the idea became a television miniseries where it found funding back in Canada, mainly through the CBC and various government funding agencies. One of the main reasons funding was secured was Dan Aykroyd signing on to play Avrohead Crawford Gordon Jr. Aykroyd, who was doing well south of the border at the time, felt the story was important enough to take part in his first Canadian production in almost 20 years. His last being the children's television show Coming Up Rosie which ran on the CBC from 1975 to 1978, which he filmed at the same time he was making a name for himself on Saturday Night Live. Other notable actors to sign on was screen legend Christopher Plummer, Michael Ironside, and Michael Moriarty. Regarding the cast, director Dominic Brarity commented about the communal sense of importance in telling the Arrow story when he said, There was definitely a sense of importance at the time amongst the cast and crew. Getting actors like Aykroyd and Plummer is a testament to that. However, like the Arrow itself, gathering so many talented people together could not save the project for more government cutbacks. Months before filming was to begin, Ontario Premier Mike Harris froze funding to the Ontario Film Development Corporation, one of the Arrow's main investors. This forced the production to scramble to replace that funding, which was eventually secured from the province of Manitoba, forcing the production to move from Toronto to Winnipeg. This was upsetting to many in the production, who saw the story as quintessentially Ontarian forcing them to abandon planned shooting at the unused Danzu Air Force Base, including vintage-period-accurate airplane hangars, to having to close down part of an operating Winnipeg airport. A loss in production design at an increased cost. All of this meant that before filming even started, the production was already $1 million over budget on its planned $7.1 million. The guarantors, who ensured the project, even threatened to take over filming. This forced producers to slash costs, including paring down and cutting scenes, with director Don McBrearty and screenwriter Keith Leckie cutting 50 scenes just a week before shooting. The real star of the story, and the production of course, is the Arrow itself. Production designer Tim Bider is credited for using and making the scale models for the flight scenes, instead of using CGI, which at the time was still in its infancy for such productions, and quite cost prohibitive. The one big break the production had was its full-size recreation of the Arrow itself, Infamously, as no aero jets exist anymore, production was concerned about building a recreation on their now-slash budget. Mere months before production began, producers discovered Alan Jackson. An airplane enthusiast, Alan, over the last six years, had been building a full-scale replica in his garage from tiny photographs, using a magnifying glass and a slide ruler. With mixed emotions, Alan agreed to lease his passion project to the production, which amazed visitors on set who had worked on the actual Arrow 30 years earlier. The Arrow shot over a 30-day period, with many of the actors flying into the Winnipeg set from Toronto and Los Angeles last second. So much so, there was minimal time for rehearsal, let alone a table read. The producers also underestimated the effort the special effects would entail. Again, director Don McGrady commented, It's all just a metaphor for the Arrow. They tried to achieve something beyond their means. Despite the budget cuts and any stress of production inflicted, the seven-year journey of The Arrow came to an end when it aired over two nights on January 12th and 13th, 1997, at the time having the highest viewership of any program to air on the CBC. It also won many awards, including six Gemini Awards. The production of The Arrow was credited for bringing to attention and the controversy of The Arrow program to a new generation of Canadians. And again, much like The Arrow itself, the miniseries generated quite a fair bit of debate about what Canadian government should be spending its money on. Many criticize a production for self mythologizing history to fit a false narrative, like so many of those pesky American historical dramas we see all the time, citing the production itself, claiming to be a work of dramatic fiction, with many characters being composites and certain events being completely fabricated. While others embrace those details, claiming that the Avro Arrow and the people who worked on it as an important part of Canadian history, that not only needs to be remembered and told but also a story worthy of a higher-end production and a platform that many Canadian stories are not afforded. I watched the Arrow doing research for this segment. Though it does show its production woes a little, and it is a television product of its time, it is really an extremely enjoyable watch, and I have to admit to experiencing a bit of pride seeing this very Canadian tale brought to life. I do agree with the sentiment that the Avro Arrow and the people who worked on it, like a lot of important Canadian history, is too easily forgotten and it is with projects like this film and the Heritage Minutes, I'm thankful for any artists and creators who keep those stories alive. To end this ramble, I will agree, and once more quote director Don McBriarty, I feel we succeeded in telling a great story about how close we came to having the best aircraft of its kind. If anyone is curious, The Arrow is available to stream for free on the Encore Plus YouTube channel. And with that, I direct you back to Grace and Linnea for your regularly scheduled podcast. (laughs)
1: back. And thank you so much, Hunter. That was incredible research and impeccably done. Yeah, thanks, North of Normal.
0: Pieces of the original Arrow, along with models and replicas, can be found in various Canadian museums. The Canadian Air and Space Conservancy has a full-size replica of the plane while the avro museum outside calgary alberta is building a flying replica
1: the first museum i think that one's in ottawa
0: it's in Edenvale, ontario
1: oh no then i haven't been there i've been to a aerospace um like museum in ottawa like a space museum oh okay um and there were like there was like a display about the arrow so i wonder if that's where the replica was
0: one of the largest surviving pieces of the arrow, a nose section marked with the words cut here beside <laughs> a jagged blowtorch line because they had to disassemble it, remains on display at the Canadian Aviation and Space Museum in Ottawa, Ontario. Oh, I was So that must be the one you saw. I saw that. Yeah. And yeah, so like that's part of, I guess the innovation of the arrow, which is part of other planes. Like I, I think it is a Concorde plane, which is okay. where engineers from, A.V. went in Great Britain. Yeah. So this is probably something they took with them. But for the arrow to take off, it needed to have a nose that could dip. So when it takes okay. off, its nose is sort of like parallel to the ground, even though the plane is starting to lift. Right. And then once it gets in the air, the nose one tilts back to be parallel with the to rest of the flat. plane. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that is something that was significant about the arrow. And then Concord released a jetliner that did that. And And that was that
1: technology?
0: Yeah, and you need to be able to do that for a plane that's going to be taking off and then landing at such a fast speed. Right. And I think on that plane, you could fly like London to New York in like four hours or something. It was like really... It was a really fast flight, but there was a bunch of problems with it because, like, because it's a supersonic plane, it it bangs right when it breaks the sound barrier, and so you can't fly it over land because oh, right. you would like it would just be these massive bangs over yeah. just like Nevada, yeah, so- <laughs> in the desert. I know that plane got canceled; it doesn't really fly anymore. Yeah. In September 2017, members of Raise the Arrow, a group of historians, scientists, archaeologists, and business people, discovered an arrow-shaped object in Lake Ontario around the Prince Edward County. Over several weeks, the team collected data from the bottom of the lake using underwater sonar equipment. They recovered the object from the lake the next year. It turned out not to be one of the nine scale models of the arrow, but a smaller, earlier test device. The hunt for the arrows, test models, and other artifacts continues to this day. So it's like this weird treasure hunt for rich people, I guess, because we know the test models are out there. They're in Lake Ontario, and they would have been some of the or only like, intact early pieces of research. So it's also kind of just like a... It's
1: a scavenger hunt. It's a scavenger hunt. Yeah, it's exactly. It's fun. <laughs>
0: Once found, they will be housed in the Canadian Aviation and Space Museum in Ottawa and the National Air Force Museum of Canada in Trenton, Ontario. So
1: Once they're discovered. Once they're found,
0: (laughs) that's where you'll be able to find them.
1: Someday. Yeah.
0: And that's the Avro Arrow.
1: Yeah. Not quite sure. It's a super important part of our heritage, but it's part of our heritage. It's there.
0: Yeah, I think it definitely had a different sort of sentimentality when this minute would have come out in the 90s because it would have been a lot closer to when those events took place. A little fresher. A little fresher, yeah. And it would have been just the end of the Cold War, so you probably have a lot of retrospectives on what the Cold War had done to Canada and, and things like that. So it's definitely interesting it's very i always think it's really interesting how they handle scientific topics in heritage minutes yeah because in some ways they're easier and in some ways they're more difficult like we just did the chloe cooley episode and that story is so nuanced because there's just so much going on in so many different circumstances and the avro doesn't really have that at play but for as much as it wants to celebrate the scientific innovation, I think the real story of the arrow is like what could have been sure. if politics hadn't gotten in the way yeah. and yeah, personal matters were infringing upon the development.
1: Yeah, and thanks again so much to Hunter and the guys at North of Normal, Hunter and Spencer. That was a that was a great addition. So thank you. Well, thanks for coming and listening to another episode of the Minute Women Podcast, another historical heritage minute brought to you by Grace McNutt.
0: Unlike those other non-historical heritage. <laughs> <minutes>.
1: Okay. <laughs> I was just trying something new. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you all for joining the ride and coming along with us. <laughs> this is our third episode today, guys. We're a little bit we're a little bit tired. But yeah, if you want to find out more information about the podcast. Uh, all of our information is on the website, which is www.minutewomenpodcast.ca. You can also check us out on Twitter at The Minute Women and on Instagram, Minute Women Podcast.
0: And we put out new episodes every Wednesday. So make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you get notified when those get released. You can also rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And we will see you next week with a new episode. Bye. Bye.